Hi, welcome to the Radiation Research Society vodcast. I'm Allison Burrell. I work at the National Science Foundation, but I help out here with the interviews. So um, I'd like to welcome you guys to a roundtable discussion. Would you like to introduce yourselves? Sure. I'm Charles Lamoli. I'm a professor of radiation oncology at the University of California, Irvine, and I'm very interested in doing a lot of the basic science work that uh, is involved with the flash radiotherapy. So hi, I'm Marie-Catherine Bosnan. I'm the head of the radiation oncology laboratory in Lausanne at the SHUF, and I've been doing pioneer work about the flash radiation. Great, and so today we're gonna to have a, a roundtable discussion on this new up-and-coming technology, flash radiation. Um, for our audience, could you explain to us what is flash radiation? This sounds so interesting. Well, it's a new approach uh, in radiation oncology that um, uh, enable us to deliver a dedicated dose in a very short period of time. And when I say very short, I mean less than 200 milliseconds, whereas usually we use minutes of irradiation. So it's been particularly useful uh, in uncovering some, well, I, I must say, rather unexpected effects. And the unexpected effects come uh, with reducing a lot of the normal tissue toxicity that comes with the more conventional dose rate paradigms they use in the clinic. And this is, um, this has caught the field by surprise. And everyone's kind of scrambling to figure out what's going on. And uh, largely due to the work of Mary Catherine, um, it's really uh, caught the imagination of the field. How did you guys come up with the idea to do this, this less than 200, what did you say? How much was the time again? 200 milliseconds. Two, less than 200 milliseconds. Right. To be clear, this was her idea. Yes, I know. Yes, okay. Yeah, so this, this is amazing. But so, um, so you mean how, how I'm just the idea was what, coming? Yeah, where, where did this in, idea? In fact, it was pretty simple. We do have access um, to uh, an experimental radiator that was built to study radiolysis. Mm -hmm. We never used that before uh, for any um, experimental purpose or biological uh, purpose. But we thought it would be interesting to have a look at that and um, that perhaps this very short term of your radiation would induce a differential response in the tissues. So we started irradiating experimental animals mm -hmm. and came up with very surprising results. As Charlie said, it was really unexpected at first we thought we do have a problem. We have not irradiated those animals. It's just not possible. We don't have any any toxicity, any of the of the toxicities that were used to, to get after irradiation. So when you when you started with this, you were just the, there was no cancer involved. It was just let's irradiate them with this technique and see yeah. the toxicity and look at the toxicity. And so the amount of radiation that you use though is much higher than normal. Um, therapeutic doses, correct? No, no, it's much lower. Oh, but it, we are usually well. We are normal tissue people. Okay. The two of us are working in the normal tissue field. So what we're currently, well, basically using is single dose of irradiation. That's the main difference with the 
uh, therapeutic uh, irradiation. Okay. But it's single dose, large dose, but in total is uh, less amount of irradiation than a, a, um, a cancer treatment. Okay, I see what you're saying. Um, so, so the like the the radiation exposure uh, that's received by the animal is is a lot lower. No. So, no. so there's two things. Sorry. When when you when you treat people with with radiation, you target a tumor and you prescribe a dose, the total dose right. that can be anywhere from sixty or seventy gray to as little as one. Mm -hmm. And the rate at which that radiation is delivered usually is about what we call two gray a minute. Okay. And so now she's been using a technique that delivers the dose rate, not the dose. The dose rate is ultra, ultra fast. Mm -hmm. And so when I first heard her results back in 2014, I was skeptical, as many people in the field were. And so I says, hey, I did a lot of stuff on normal tissue injury in the brain. So we sent her some animals. And they came back. They were given 10 gray, which causes significant neurocognitive complications. Yes. Normally, when you give it at the regular, the standard dose rate, nothing happened to these animals at one month, two months, three months. I go, come on. Six months, no neurocognitive complications. Just from that first initial Just from, dose. And, wow. and the animals that were given that one dose on the standard dose rate showed all the usual things we've been trying to fix. They showed all these types of deficits in learning and memory, um, mood disorders involving depression and anxiety. Lo and behold, much to my amazement, six months later, the animals were given this ultra-high dose rate. None of these neurocognitive complications. So. She's done a lot of stuff before in the lung and the gut and all that stuff. The field of radiobiology has been trying to fix neurocognitive complications for four decades with dismal success. And, and to actually find something that you can fix that, that happens in less than a millisecond is amazing. And so there's your functional impact in the brain mm -hmm. and in the other normal tissues endpoints that have been equally recalcitrant to, to being fixed, like um, fibrosis. They don't, they don't happen. And so, and then, of course, you asked about a tumor, and then she has a story with tumor, because now, right. if I'm telling you all these great things about all the yeah. normal tissue sparing, all right, so then you're going to spare the tumor. So what good is it? But. But it's not the case. In fact, when we when we do radiate the tumor, we do have isoefficacy. So it's really um, it's really specific to normal tissue. It's not specific to any organ. It can be uh, seen in the lung, in the gut, in the brain. It's not specific to uh, um, specific uh, uh, spaces. Mm -hmm. It can be seen in mice, different strains can be seen in pigs, can be seen in domestic cats. We have been irradiated domestic cats with squamous cell carcinoma. Can be seen in fish, zebrafish. Wow. So it's a trans-spaces uh, observation, but specific on the normal tissue. In fact, specific on tissues that are non-moxic. So you mean specific as it's, it's not affecting those tissues? It is beneficial. beneficial. So, so the, the, the key points here are that not just our groups, mm -hmm. but other groups have also found these beneficial effects. And there was a lot of um, 
concern that the dosimetry was, was maybe off a little bit, and that's certainly not the case. So the, the effects that we're measuring are delivered at isodose with differing dose rates, and now every model system we've touched on, even cell-free systems where we look at the production of hydrogen peroxide, each system we look at going from no cells to cells to zebrafish to rodents to pigs, cats, all show this. Multiple groups show this benefit. And to the best of my knowledge, I don't know, this is one of the first times I've seen something that stands to revolutionize the field of, of clinical on radiation oncology where you have, you have your most robust defined effect in vivo. And now we're trying to deconstruct the in vivo situation to figure out what's going on. Most of the time in this, you, you, you make your discoveries in yeast, worm, and flies and move up to cells and then, oh, it didn't work in animals. And, and this time, wait a minute, we, it, it, we have all of our functional effects in animals. So it's like, it really doesn't matter why it happens, but it does. I mean, we have something that works. And figuring out exactly what's gonna, what, what the basis of this is, is going to be fun and challenging, yes. but it, it's usually the other way around, right? Well, you killed the cell, what about the animal? And now we have the big effect in the animal, and I think you're actually almost poised to do something with humans now, right? Right, and that was my next question was, is this going to, to move into clinical trials? And I had heard that, that one of the, um, the barriers to that was the mechanism, was that well, I don't think that the mechanism is a real problem because we are using radiation therapy and ionizing radiation since more than a hundred years and we really don't know everything about yes. the mechanism of ionizing that, that's radiation. That's what I was thinking, that there's lots of drugs out there that we don't know fully know the mechanism, no. but, but we know that it works and it passes through clinical trials. I, I, I think the, the main critical point for the clinical transfer is, is to be sure about the safety. Mm -hmm. and it's to be sure about the right selection of the patients that would benefit from it. So that, that's, that's a thing. The very good uh, point for us in, in Lausanne is that we have an incredible team of physicists mm -hmm. and an institute that is dedicated to all the dosimetry and, and the, the metrology. And I, uh, we have in the team metrologists that are doing the, the, the dosimetry, so we are really accurate with the dosimetry, Claude Bella is the guy that is doing everything. Mm -hmm. So we know from um, uh, um, safety point of view that our dose, the dose that we're gonna prescribe is gonna be accurate. And from this point, we hope to be able to move forward to the, to the clinical situation. It's gonna be probably one of the first clinical trial in radiation oncology because there is no trial per se. I mean, phase one, phase two, phase three, it's always combination between irradiation and drugs, mm -hmm. but there was no trial for the proton, for instance. Interesting. So it's, uh, it's a completely uh, yeah, a new, new concept. Yeah, there's a lot of um, yeah, combination therapy, chemotherapy, radiation. Right. And when you look at all the effort that the field, uh, the radiation oncology field spent on hypoxic cell sensitizers, modulating oxygen tension through a variety of techniques. These things have met with, with some success, but they've taken years and years to develop, and even you know these drugs, hypoxic cell synthesizers, they, they fail in some trials because you know, the selection criteria was maybe a little bit wrong, and, 
And so now, if you consider that you know, all these chemical and biologic interventions, how long they take to develop, and now we have something that we can initiate and it's over and done with I mean, instantaneously, yeah. and we still get the long-term benefits without compromising tumor control, I mean, really? Yeah. I mean, this is, this is really, and I, I, frankly, it's astounding. So normally when um, a radiation dose is prescribed by a radiation oncologist, um, like you said, sometimes it's, it's not all given at once. It's given over a period of um, you know, weeks um, in different doses. But this is something where you would just give it one time, and it would be maybe more than one time. Yeah. Okay. Well, it really, it, it's gonna, it really, it will depend uh, upon the the, um, uh, the tumor we are going to target. Mm -hmm. um, so far, all the experiments we've done uh, with experimental system and uh, domestic animals with cancer, we have applied only one fraction with success. So okay. with this technology, we are able to apply very large dose that controls the tumor without toxicity. But in, in, in human, we are probably going um, um, to be able to make fractionation uh, studies. And we already know that it, it has no impact on the, on the efficacy of, of, the, of, the, of the flash radiation therapy. So one way to think about it, right, so depending on where your tumor is, mm -hmm. every clinical oncologist will dose that tumor to the maximum tolerated normal tissue level. Otherwise, you're running the risk of not controlling the tumor, and it would be medically irresponsible. So now, and let's say a, a typical brain tumor treatment would involve 32 gray fractions. So the patient has to come in when a fraction's going to the doctor's office on a day. Mm -hmm. So now if we tell the doctor, let's suppose we can even cut that in half mm -hmm. or a third or a quarter, and we can increase the dose to the tumor and keep the normal tissue toxicity the same or better, there's, I mean, there's, there's nothing really at risk here as long as it can be delivered safely. So we've, we've cut the cost of healthcare the patients don't have to see the doctor, which they, I'm sure they love to do. And it was, so you can theoretically dose escalate to every normal tissue bed with a lower number of fractions, a higher dose per fraction, and keep the normal tissue complications the same or better. I mean, there's not many things that you can do that give you that kind of an outcome. I mean, that's, that's pretty amazing. Is there an instance in radiation oncology where the, the maximum dose to a tumor might not necessarily be the maximum dose that would be needed to completely eradicate the tumor, but because of the well, toxicity. Absolutely. Well, the do if, if you dose a tumor too high, I mean, you can kill a patient right. if the normal tissue toxicity is too high. So, I mean, there is a point where they have to stop. You have to stop, but the tumor keeps And that's growing. where all the clinical knowledge comes into play. I mean, I'm not mm -hmm. a clinician, but right. I mean, you know, we don't cure 100% of tumors with radiation therapy, yeah. but it's very useful. Yeah. So. However, to be clear, we still have technological limitation. Okay. So um, it's going to take a bit of uh, engineer work mm -hmm. to be able to um, have devices that's going to be um, able to treat any kind of tumor over all the body. Currently what we have mm -hmm. is devices 
um, that can treat superficial tumors, but probably not the internal one. Okay. Our colleagues in Stanford are um, currently working on the question, and they do have uh, pretty nice, um, pretty nice ideas how to how to solve the technological problem. That was what I was wondering. Um, I'm glad you mentioned it. Was the technological issue? Um, would it be? Is it? the same types of machines that are used now to deliver radiation, would they just, they need to be modified or? Yeah. It, I mean, there, there's nothing that's fundamentally different, but the components of the machines do need some upgrades. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, basically we need to convert the current clinical landscape into machines that deliver a high enough energy so we can penetrate to the depth desired and provide the dose rate necessary for our normal tissue sparing effect. Right now, we have the energies that can penetrate, but they can't deliver the fast dose rate. And her machine in Switzerland has a beam that delivers the dose rate, but lacks the penetration depth. And so, but you know, we're, we're gonna try to send someone to Mars in, in 20 years. Oh, yeah. we, can, we can get this done in well yeah. under 20 uh, years. I, I, mean, I think that this, this technological problem yeah, I mean, is not. No. Correct me if I'm wrong, that there's nothing that really hasn't been invented yet, it's right. just, kind of putting all the right pieces yeah. in a different configuration. Right. So okay. there's not, there's not a, a, a magical piece of technology we're waiting for someone to invent. It's just, it's just a matter of money and, and getting it done, so. Reconfiguring it, okay. So my next question is to tumor types. So within, when you started working with these model organisms like the pig or the cat, what kind of tumors were you using? Were they, and, and were they ever xenografts? Did you ever work with xenografts? Well, we're, we've been using a lot of solid tumors, uh, mm -hmm. all kind. Xenograft, yes, uh, orthotopic tumors, spontaneous tumor in transgenic animals, mm -hmm. and also uh, spontaneous tumor in the domestic cats. So, yeah, all, all kind of solid tumors. Oh, yeah, I think a colleague of mine had mentioned something with a, a tumor on the nose. Right. Would you want to tell that cell, story? Yeah, squamous cell carcinoma. So it's a typical um, uh, disease in, in uh, a white cat, uh, and they do have the development of this uh, squamous cell car carcinoma on ears and on, uh, at the surface of the nose. Mm -hmm. For us, it was a very good model because it's superficial. Mm -hmm. um, it was also very interesting because the outcome is pretty poor. Uh, the uh, animals uh, can get surgery, but then once they don't have any nose anymore, mm -hmm. they are not smelling. If they are not smelling, they are not eating. If they are not eating, um, they just basically die. Yeah. So um, here the question was to really try to improve the treatment for those animals. Uh, conventional radiation therapy is, can be used and is used, but it's uh, fractionated, so it's 20 fraction. Usually those cats are pretty old, like 10, 12 years old. So 10 uh, uh, anesthesia in a row for two weeks is pretty, pretty difficult mm -hmm. to handle. Here we were just proposing very, very simple one-shot irradiation, one-shot anesthesia, less than 30 minutes of anesthesia. So it was pretty easy to convince the owners to, to just try it, and the outcome was just perfect. We had no toxicity. The nose was fully reconstructed after the radiation. The only 
side effect was uh, depilation, which is not a major issue <laughs> as compared with... Uh, so with they lose could. some of the hair? Yeah, exactly at the field of the irradiation. Okay. And this is published. It, it has been published okay. this, this summer. It's almost too good to be true. Right. It, it does. It sounds like this... Uh, well, it's it's uh, an exciting time very, to be doing the, the basic science and, and, and listening to the the clinicians grumble, but, well, you know, and, but uh, I, I do think that uh, we're going to be able to do some good for a lot of people in a few years. I'm really excited to see about this. So, so yeah, primarily, I mean, it makes sense that, that this would be a treatment for solid tumors. Um, is, is there, I'm not familiar, because um, I'm not a clinician myself, but is there radiation therapy that's used on non-solid tumors? Right. There is. So, but something like this is more like a targeted therapy, but do you see it being used at all in non-solid tumors? Oh, yeah, well, I mean, yeah. Why not? Yeah. I mean, we, you know, we irradiate the whole brain of rodents, but I mean, you know, I think what you're getting is systemic disease is, is certainly more difficult to treat with right, radi like radiation. Well, I mean, right, in any stage three or four cancer is more difficult to, to treat yes. with radiation yes. alone. It's yeah. usually combined with, with, with um, you know, chemotherapy. Mm -hmm. But uh, no, there's nothing that limits like it. like glioblastoma that's kind of spreading out throughout the well, brain. Well, I mean, they still give whole brain for that exactly. too. Exactly. And, and if you can deliver the whole brain with flash, then it's, uh, it's going to be, uh, it certainly won't be worse than what we're doing now. Right, so that's a possibility doing all, all like, a, I mean, not necessarily whole body irradiation, but. Well, I, I think the term, right, you would use is we can, we, we can treat larger volumes. Larger right. Volumes. Which is yeah. really something that limits the more conventional mm -hmm. treatment. Right, if, if you treat your whole liver with a certain dose of radiation, I mean, you need some of your liver to work. Yes. There's, there's you know, you can get rid of 30% of it, mm -hmm. maybe 50, but you can't get rid of 70 and 80% of it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if we're able to treat a larger volume, and, and minimize that toxicity, then, then that makes all these, these treatments more feasible. The, the idea then is also to be able to merge um, uh, this uh, short uh, time of delivery with all the new uh, imaging approach. Mm -hmm. So if we are able really to merge those two things together, we're going to be more efficient, that's for sure. And we can be very precise also even in, in, in uh, uh, blood cancer like Hodgkin lymphoma, for instance. So what are your, your next steps? Um, you say you would like to move into human clinical trials. Do you have um, a specific type of tumor that you want to start with? Well, yeah. For for now, we're gonna we're gonna target the superficial tumors, so mainly cancer, uh, cancer tumor, um, um, skin tumors. So, yes. Sorry. That's okay. Um, um, but like then, like yeah, some type of basal or uh, um, some type of cut some types of cutaneous lymphoma, for instance. Then the next step is going to be for us in Europe to uh, uh, investigate uh, intraoperative radiation therapy. In that case, it's going to be single shot irradiation, mm -hmm. and the target is going to be head and neck cancer because they are infiltrating with large vessel infills. 
So if we can protect the large vessels, we're going to be able to uh, uh, provide a, a large field of irradiation. It's going to be the same for pancreatic cancer. So those are probably going to be the, the two next um, major tumors we're going to target. The third one is glioblastoma. Yes. Of course. Uh, that can also be rich with uh, 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 intraoperative radiation therapy and to prove that it's going to be feasible, we will have a, a, a phase uh, two clinical trial running in dogs with uh, uh, Swiss um, um, vet schools mm -hmm. of Zurich and Bern. So we're going to try that, uh, start that in the next few 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 weeks. So we'll so you're based in Switzerland. Yeah. So these trials are going to start in Switzerland. Well, I guess yes, because we are right. the only one to to have a machine running right. okay. up and running right now. And in the background, we have a lot of preclinical models that we're testing mechanism, the optimal dose per pulse, and, and things like that. So we're we're going to be optimizing the actual paradigm. Um, using mice, rats, dogs, and, and, and getting it, you know, increasing our basic understanding of, of the mechanism and, and the physical chemical parameters that are important so that when we hit these, these you know, human trials, we're, we're armed with all the knowledge we can, we can get. Right. But, but as I said, um, the, the U.S. won't be far behind because there is a lot of technology that is currently being um, uh, optimized. So, Like with your I collaborators at right, Stanford? Right, right. So I think that it's, it's going to be yeah. kind of spread out uh, so very I, quickly. Yeah. I would hope so. I mean, ideally it would be nice to have all of these trials going in tandem. Well, I, I, well, this is exactly what we want. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, exactly. I'm, I'm sending the animals and things to her in Switzerland, and, and we're doing a lot of stuff back at our institute. But I mean, really, the more places that this gets launched at, the quicker it's going to get implemented, and the quicker people are going to believe this. I mean, this is this is no good to have at one spot. No, no, sure. No, we. I mean, we, the idea here is to share, right? Yeah, we yeah, want yeah. to improve the clinical outcome of people with cancer, and so I, I think that once. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're close to having a lot of nice publications come out and, and people, there, there's, she hosted a nice workshop in Switzerland and the NIH hosted a nice workshop in Washington. Mm -hmm. So it's getting some attention, which is really the first steps in all of this. And with the papers and all the workshops and with more people thinking about it, you know, it, I think really it's, it's safe to say it's a matter of time. And, and the quicker we can make it happen, is, 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 uh, it would be the benefit to all. So The, the other very interesting uh, aspect is that we are all academics. Right. So we are um, used to work together, uh, share the knowledge, and try to push forward. So I think that this is the main, um, perhaps the main strength of, of uh, this, this, new, uh, this new approach, the fact that we are not dealing with um, um, the commercial right. issues. And, and I think that's what I love about science and, and why I'm a part of it is that it's international, but as scientists that we, we don't see borders. No, I mean, we're not trying to make money off this. Right. Maybe right. earn, earn a living, but we're really wanting to get the knowledge out there. And, 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 and the, on the side, it's, it's, it's quite interesting as well. I mean, why this works. So that, that's what makes it fun. Yeah. Well, th this is very exciting. Um, are there any other aspects of this um, project that you'd like to talk about? 
Um, I'm I'm pretty good. I, I you know I think we're we're doing what we can, and and you know the 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 right people are listening, and uh, you've got a lot of nice stuff going on in, in Switzerland, and and uh, there's as it says there's places in the United States at Stanford that are that are well on their way of getting this going, and uh, um, you know we have lots of good data ready to publish, and um, I I just think really it's just keeping the momentum moving forward, and uh, I guess. If there's an obstacle outside of some technological obstacles, it's, it's just keeping the funding coming in so that we can keep generating the data. But I mean, that that's that's going to happen. So right, I mean, right. it's it's there's always a grant to write. It doesn't matter what you do. That's what we do, and and you know they'll get funded eventually. And and so I mean, it's but that's the scientific process. Yeah, yeah but this definitely sounds like a transformative yeah. project. Well, it is, and you know, and all this stuff has to survive peer review, and and there's people that won't believe it until the last minute. I mean, that's fine. Yeah. That I mean, yes, that's a game. If if everyone agrees, then you kind of look in the mirror and go, uh oh. I mean, that's, I'm right. not sure something right. must be something wrong. Something must be wrong. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, so it, it's it's a good check and balance. Yeah. Just just to. To say that this observation has already been done uh, 40 years ago by right. other people, but then yeah, but was it, not it got stalled. Yes, yeah, it just uh, gets stuck in the oh. in the way. <laughs> so, so we just we just rediscovered that and went back to the old literature, so mm -hmm. that. Uh, uh, some people uh, uh, here in the U.S., in, in, in New York at the Memorial, and, and in Europe at the U.K. were already uh, thinking about such uh, kind of, uh, of approach. So it's just like we're not um, discovering anything new. We're just <laughs> going. Oh, you're <laughs> but yes. Um, I'm excited to see where this moves forward, and I know we have two uh, radiation conferences next year, um, the International um, Conference for Radiation Research, and then the one at Manchester, Manchester, right? Manchester. and um, you'll be having something on this there, I'm sure. Yeah. So um, the Radiation Research Society vodcast and podcast is going to be interviewing and having. Um, interviews at both conferences. So hopefully um, next August, maybe we could interview you guys again and hear some. We'll actually days. both be there. Great. So Great. I'll be talking right. on something very different, but it's still, I'll be very interested in, I'll, I'll be doing this for many years, so. Yeah, I think we do have a sort of 20 years ahead. <laughs> so anyway, so hopefully this, this kind of demystifies some of the, uh, the flash and maybe demystifies or at least justifies some of the high expectations. But, uh, you know, it, it's been a while since I've seen something come along that has been, this has, has this type of potential promise. So I'm, I'm excited as well. Makes it fun to be in science, so. And I have to say, I, I like the name FLASH. Um, I'm, I'm happy that it's not an acronym because everything is acronized <laughs> these days. Um, but it also, you know, is kind of a double entendre. Like it is, it's FLASH. It, it describes exactly what it is, um, but it also can describe how it's treating. And if you want to put her movie yeah. of the animal being irradiated, that's exactly what you see, a flash. Yeah. I mean, it, it's so, I mean, it's exactly what it is, so anyway. If you have a link to that, we could add that to right. the description um, for this podcast, right. yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for coming and talking with us um, here at the Radiation Research Society podcast. And um, like I said, I look forward to hearing more from you in the future. Very good. Thanks, Thanks for having us. us. You're welcome. Thank you. Okay.